it's on page 984 in the Church Bibles, um, Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. My goodness, every time I read this passage, uh, I just see new things, and I think, oh, we've got to talk about this, and we've got to talk about that. Uh, but, but let me see if I, if, if, if I can invite the children to see if they can, they can recite this passage with me. Perhaps if you can read, you might read it on the screen, but... Let's just hear your children's voices saying these words. So I'll say one line, and let me hear you say the line following that. If then you have been raised with Christ, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, it's so loud. It's, it's, can you just be a little bit quieter? It's, uh, really, they'll ask us to quiet down a bit. Set your minds on things that are above. Good job, Timothy. Let's hear, let's hear the Smiths over there. There's one Jessup over there. There's more Jessups over there. Set your minds on things that are above. Set your minds. Not on things that are on earth. Now, here's the reason. For you have died. For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears. Let me try that one again. When Christ who is your life appears. Then you also. Will appear with him in glory. Very good. So let us, let us go slowly through those words. And, and, and you might be a little bit surprised by what I'm doing now. We're just going to go slowly through the words of this passage we've just read. And just reflect on these words for a moment. Uh, and then I'll, I'll start to preach them. So you've seen that first word there, if. If. Some Bible translations translated that as since. Since. Since you have been raised with Christ. Since you've been raised with Christ. What does it mean that you've been raised? It means that something or someone was dead. Uh, and now that someone or some person has been raised. And it tells us how that person has been raised. With Christ. So since you have been raised with Christ. And I think that is the right translation for this passage. He's calling Christians and he's saying to them. Remember, you're Christians. You've been raised with Christ. So since you've been raised with Christ, he tells us what to do. What's the verb? Seek. Seek the things that are above. That word seek uh, is, a, is a Greek word that tells us that we need to attempt to find. We need to exert ourselves. It's, it's not, it won't just come over you. It's something you've got you've to exert effort. And you've got to start looking for it. You, you've got to be digging around for it. A bit like it is when you've lost your wallet and you start looking for it. You, you seek 
to attain it. Uh, you exert some effort as you look for it. Seek the things that are where, that are above. That doesn't help us a lot. What, what's above? There's a number of floors above us at the moment where we are, so let's go seek the things that are above. No, no, it tells us what the things are that is above. It says where Christ is. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. He's essentially telling us, seek Christ. He goes further to say, seated at the right hand of God. He, he wants our, our, our minds to seek, to, 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 to look for the things that are above, uh, and he tells us where we need to go to the throne room of God in heaven, and, and there we need to see Jesus Christ in a place of honor, in a place of status, a, a place of praise. We, we need to set our minds, which he'll tell us now, but we need to seek, seek that truth, that reality. And he says, you've got to remember that you were dead, you've been raised with Christ, so if you set, if you seek Christ where he is in heaven, you'll see something of yourself because you're there as well. So seek uh, Christ, seated at the right hand of God. Now he'll tell us a next thing that we are supposed to do. Set your minds on the things that are above or fix your minds. Let me give you a few words for that verb there. Keep on giving serious con consideration to uh, or ponder or let your mind dwell or keep thinking or keep your attention fixed on this one truth, on the things that are above. Set your minds means ponder. It means meditate. It means think of. It means turn it over in your mind. Set your minds on the things that are above. He's just told us what those things are. It's Christ where he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He says set your minds on those things, not on the things that are on earth. He doesn't feel he need to give us a list of the things that are on earth because our minds are ready like that to give you some examples of things that are on earth. I mean, I don't need to ex tell you to, to, to not think of elephants at the moment. Who's thinking of elephants? I've been thinking of elephants the whole morning. No? I don't have to tell you that you shouldn't think of what you're going to have for lunch. I, you just do that all by yourself. You don't need any encouragement to do that. I don't need to tell you about thinking about... Uh, the weekend is nearly over. This is it. It's, it's every second. It's just ticking away. You're already thinking about that. So, so he tells us, set your minds on the things that are above. Where? Where Christ is seated, the right hand of God, in a place of honor and privilege and praise. Fix your mind there. Now he tells us why. Verse 3. For you have died. That sounds really, uh, really down, doesn't it? For you've died. He's essentially telling us it's no good fixing your mind on anything that is below because things that are below go away. You could do a little exercise just now and I can ask you, can you tell me the things that you fixed your mind on the last week that is still relevant today at this very moment? I can look at my inbox and when that email came in, it was all my life was consumed by that email. And I'm thinking, what am I going to say? Oh, oh, I'll mark it. I'll have to think, oh, what am I, oh my goodness. A day later, I read, oh, it's no longer necessary. We've had a conversation. It's no longer relevant. It was such a big thing, but it's gone away. That's just emails that come and go. Have you looked at your inbox? There's 100,000 messages that at some point were the thing that fixed your mind. It's no longer needed. It's done. Have you looked at some of the clothes that you thought a long time about before you bought it, and then finally you go and buy it, and now it's one of those pieces of clothing, and next time you want to throw things out, you think, that's going. I'm done with that. It's just, it's just finished. 
It's just finished. He says, now fix your things, uh, fix your mind on the things that are above, for you have died. He says, the things that you previously set your mind on, they were subject to dying, to decay. It's illogical to fix your mind on those things. It's, it's stupid to fix your mind, to, to give the most precious commodity that you have, your attention, to an endless Facebook stream that just passes away constantly, just goes away constantly. So don't fix your mind on that because you've died and those things themselves are dying. So what's the alternative? For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with... The reason you should set your mind on the things that are above is because everything else you set your mind to, well, they've all gone away. They've all gone away. And they will all go away eventually. But Christ is your life, and your life is hidden with him in God. We're going to dwell on that truth in a minute. And then verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's another reason why you should fix your mind. Seek the things that are above. Fix your mind and things about. Why? Because you've died, and it's a waste of time to fix your mind on things that's dying. Uh, and, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And, and the third reason is, is one day God will reveal his son to the world, and then we will see that the head and the body is one, that Christ and his church is one, and Christians will then be revealed with him in glory. Then the glory that you're hankering after now will be fully revealed. See, so that's what this passage says in its nuts and bolts. And I'm going to ask you at the end to do a little exercise with this passage. So, so we're going to go back to this passage. I'm not going to preach through it a little bit. And then we're going to go back to this passage. I'm just putting it on the screen. And then we are going to seek the things that are above. And we are going to fix our minds on the things that are in heaven and not on earth. And we're just going to, to do that together as we ponder Christ, perhaps in silence, just, just reflecting on what it is that God tells us there. Now... Let me give you three, um, three levers uh, or three, three headings that, that will help you as we go through this passage. First, I'm going to talk about your past. I'm going to talk about your past. If you're a Christian, I'm going to talk about your past. Uh, and then I'm going to talk uh, about your present. And then I'm going to talk about your future. Now, this is a church, and so I focus primarily on on explaining this text with Christians in mind, but we're a church that welcomes people constantly that are not Christians. And, and we believe that this word is powerful to convert you to Christianity, to, to seek the things that are above. So I'm going to go slowly and also explain it for you if you're not a Christian. So let's go back to the past. This passage is telling us that you have been raised with Christ. That's what it's saying to Christians. You have been raised with Christ. Now, in there, there is an assumption that if we needed to be raised, it means that we were dead at some point. And that's where it sort of cuts on those of us that aren't Christian. It's, it's, it's reminding you that you are a dead man walking at the moment, uh, that, that if you do not put your faith in the things that are above, then you will go the way of the dodo. There'll just be nothing left of you except if they've reintroduced dodos and they're slowly coming back to Australia and they're alive. I'm not sure. They haven't read about it recently. No. Jamie confirms. Thanks. 
you've got to be extremely serious about this point because the trouble is if you don't acknowledge that your story your past is a story of death until you found your life in christ then i can just be putting plasters on perhaps as a non-christian you're listening to this message today and say well it's a nice idea to fix my mind on the things that are above i'll sit back in my chair from time to time and just think about heaven and heavenly things that might be a good idea but you won't have any context to make sense of that story because you see a christian knows what's happened in the past is that that in order for you to live and to be alive in christ christ had to die now that's just a mechanism to some extent but but think about it for a moment when someone dies for you it is an act of love so so this story of our past is a love story it's telling us about a love that took place even before you were born, where, where Christ, God the Father and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, had you on their hearts, his heart, as you were made, as you were born. He already said, I know who you're going to be. You're going to be a son of Adam that will deserve to die, and therefore I'm going to send my son to die in your place. Why? Because that is an act of love. Your past is a past of love. Now, I've got to take this seriously because in that point where we understand that God loves us by giving to us his son, in that point is the power to set our minds on the things that are above. It's only to the extent that you understand that God's love was revealed to you in the cross that you can go out uh, and seek him and live for him. So let's put that in perspective for a minute. I'll tell you a little story. Perhaps you've heard of Amy Carmichael before in your life. You might not have heard of Amy Carmichael. I don't see anyone saying, I know Amy. Amy, it's an incredible, incredible story of her life, and I've sort of delved into it the last couple of days, and it's incredible. Uh, There's a book that you can find online. You can read it for free. It's called Things As They Are, Mission Work in Southern India, written in 1903. This, this is tough stuff, I'll tell you this. Th- this uh, Irish lady became a Christian, and she went out there to start, um, to start a mission to reach out to, to Indian people around her. Uh, and she could not believe what she found. Uh, and parents, you might do, need to explain this later on a little bit better. But, but she found that, that in some uh, Hindu cultures there and, and some Hindu practices, they, they still had temples where children were being used and and abused and often families would give their children to the temple particularly girls to be used in this temple and when amy saw this her christian heart just broke her human heart just broke as she saw children being torn away from their families and she began this ministry where she would come to these homes uh, where the parents through either manipulation by the community or through poverty think it's best to offer up their child to this temple and um and and there follows a life of abuse for this child and amy would say give your child to us we'll start an orphanage we'll start an orphanage Uh, it's incredible when you read her her life story from that point on she she founds this she finds this incredible ministry in south uh, south india it's still going today so tim challies is a He's a blog writer. He's recently visited this orphanage, and there's still hundreds of children there that are helping. It's since been illegal to do that practice in India, so we thank God for that. 
but it's still, it's still something that for 100 years was an active practice. But Amy, Amy's life took a really strange turn. She, um, she had this amazing ministry, and then she had an accident. And uh, she lived the last 20 years of her life in absolute pain, in agony, bedridden for 20 years. Bedridden. This hero in the faith that's given herself to the mission of God. She, she was there in that bed. And um, I'm sure many nights of struggle followed over the years when she finally passed away, age 81. Um, she would take this time that she was in bed to write letters. Uh, and she would write letters to other people who were trying to make sense of their stories. Because your past is your story. And people were writing to her, and, and they, their hearts were in absolute agony. They thought, but you're such a person who's full of zeal for the Lord. Now the Lord has brought you so low that you're stuck, st stuck in bed. How do we make sense of our lives if this happens to you? And, um, and she just, uh, she would write back to everyone personal letters, eventually books uh, that was published out of these letters. And, um, and one of the most arresting features of her life to me is that there she is in her late 70s she's been ill for such a long time absolute agony and above her bed there are just two words just two words and it's just yes lord just yes lord you see she she was able to make sense of her present by looking to the past and realizing that with christ she died. God loved her so much that he gave his son to her to die in her place so that his death was her death and his life is now her life. He is now her risen Lord that is in heaven uh, and he is in charge. And her life, although there is this suffering at the moment, will eventually be revealed when Christ returns. She finds a whole life, not in her past, not in her present, but in her future. This delayed glory that one day she will be revealed with Christ and other saints in glory. In spite of the present suffering that she endured. She's the one that wrote, it is a safe thing to trust him to fulfill the desire that he creates. How do you like them apples? <laughs> it is a safe thing to trust him to fulfill the desire that he creates. He fulfills the desire that he creates. You want to fulfill the desire in your life. You can imagine how she longed to be well again, how she longed to be without pain. You can imagine how many nights she cried out to say, but it's unnatural that I'm suffering this much. There's so much work to be done. But yet she knew my life is hidden with Christ in God. My life is not hidden in a healthy body. My life is not hidden in a pain-free existence. My life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ appears, my life will appear with him in glory. Your past. Your past informs your present. So what about the present? She said, well, the Bible says, you have been, past tense, raised with Christ. And then he tells us about the present. He tells us to do two things. It tells us to seek and it tells us to set our minds. It tells us to seek. What does it tell us to seek? Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. 
I don't know about you, but this seeking of Christ, this seeking of the things that are above, it does not come naturally. You have to exert effort in the seeking of Christ, attaining the fullness of Christ. If, if you've been a Christian for a while, you've come perhaps to Christ full of joy and happiness and exhilaration, and it was easy for you to read and to pray and to spend time with God. There was a, a visceral joy in your walk with the Lord, and, and as time went on, it sort of grew cold perhaps. Perhaps you come to the Bible quite dry. Perhaps you come to worship services with low expectations. Perhaps you come to the, to the time of prayer with fellow believers just with going through the motions, a, a, a heart that is not seeking, a heart that is just going through the motions. I want to encourage you that as, this, as the word of God tells us, we are to seek him. He is admonishing us. He is rebuking us to struggle to attain him, to work out our salvation as we seek him that are above and the word tells us what it is or who it is we are to seek. It is not just the things that are about, but we are to seek Christ. Now, friends, I, I'm your pastor, uh, and I've lived in this community for a, for a long time. I, I long to see that you, you seek Christ for Christ's sake. You don't seek Christ for experience sake. Uh, that is, that is a, a terrible fallacy that I think we fall into. Uh, an experience, an exhilarating experience of God's presence is an exhilarating experience that comes with God's presence. It is God's presence that I pursue, and, and he might or might not give me an exhilarating experience that accompanies that presence of his. But I am to seek him in order to attain him. I, I am supposed to set my mind to read, to fill my imagination and my knowledge, to, to fill it with who Christ is at this moment. So when we talk about the present, we say at this moment, the Lord is calling you to set your mind on this spiritual reality that as we are standing here in Canada water at the moment, Christ Jesus is seated. He's seated at the right hand of God in that there is a man in heaven. Jesus Christ at the moment is interceding for us. As I'm preaching and as we're praying, he's hearing all of our prayers and he's receiving all of our worship. But at this moment, that is the reality that is going on. What else is more, what is more relevant in your mind at this moment? What else are you thinking is, is, is currently going on at this moment? I don't know if you're also following the 24 news, 24 hour news cycles. You think, oh, there's a party conference going on in Brighton at the moment. We'll see what they say. So, so I'm not really living in the present. I'm waiting to hear what the news says tomorrow. And then when that's done, we'll hear the court case result on Tuesday, I suppose. And then we'll find out what happens then. And then the 31st of October will come on. And then finally our lives will. And so all of us in some way live with this future mindedness of I can't just be present right now. There's other realities that we make more present than the actual presence of Jesus Christ seated at the right hand of the Father right now. And now why is this relevant? Remember why it's relevant. Because Colossians told us, he said, Christ is the head and we are the body. Where the head is, that's where the body will be. In that sense, your life is hidden with Christ in God. If it's true that at this moment by the right hand of the Father is seated the Lord Jesus, who is my Lord, 
I am, in some, to some extent, in heaven at this very moment. My life is hidden with Christ in God. So that forces me to ask you this question. Christian or not, what is your life? Who is your life? What is your life? Who is your life? Where is it that your imagination goes to and rests at? Where is it that your thoughts run to when there's nothing to think about? Where is it that you find peace for your anxious mind before you fall asleep? Where is it that you go to for most comfort and for most rest? Is Christ your life? Is Christ your life? There's so many ways that uh, Bishop Keller have told us to learn about these things. <laughs> he's not a bishop. He's a minister of a church and retired anyway. But he, he asked this question. He, he, he just said, if... If you lost this thing, your life won't be live, worth living anymore. What is that thing? What's the answer to the question? If I lost this thing or this person, my life won't be worth living anymore? Can you just think for a moment what that might be? The answer should be Jesus. <laughs> the answer should be if I lost my Jesus, there's no point. Nothing makes sense anymore. But if your answer is if I, if I lost my, my friends, if, if, if they saw... If they knew the gossip I got up to, if, if, if my boss knew what I said to my colleagues about him or her, I lose that relationship, that credibility. That if I lost that reputation, if I lost that person, my spouse, that child, if I, my life will fall apart. Everything will come to nothing. My life will be a waste. It'll be lost. It'll be done. If I lost that, it's no good. If that answer isn't Christ, you have to do repentance. You have to come back to Christ. And if you're not a Christian here, you need to understand that we've got far more in common than you think. Because by nature, our hearts, each one of us, want to make something else a God, our life, a place where we will find rest. By nature, we want to make our jobs the place that will give us all our significance and purpose. By nature, we all want to take a person that comes into our lives and say, you are going to be my savior. You are going to finally fix me and my story. We, by nature, we want to do that. Each and every one of us, whether we're children or adults, we want to take people and things and put them into our lives as gods to do what only God can do. But Amy Carmichael will remind us, and she says, it is a safe thing to trust him to fulfill the desires that he creates. God has placed eternity in your hearts. You long for eternity. You long for glory and only he will ever satisfy that longing for glory so let me come to my third point the future you've got a past that's your story presently at the moment you are called to seek the things that are above uh, and we are told to to set our minds on the things that are above not on earth uh, and he tells us why he tells us why we're supposed to do this. He goes us back, he takes us back to the past and says, for you have died and your life at the pres in the present is hidden with Christ and God. But then he takes us to the future and he says, but when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What does the word glory mean? We will appear with him in glory. 
to appear with Christ in glory. That's that word, perhaps some churches have taken this as their name called doxa, the word doxa. That's what we sing at the end. It's a doxology that we sing. It is something about God's glory. It is that response that people give when something just overwhelms them so much with its beauty and with its majesty and with its wonderfulness that they just say, oh, glorious. Is that something they say on the Great British Bake Off? I can suspect. Let's not use it for that. Let's, let's, let's use glorious, an exclamation that you almost can't stop from just saying glorious, amazing, wonderful. Let's keep those words for, for God and especially when he is revealed. But, but understand this, that the future that the Bible gives us is a future where we will all be awestruck, whether believer or not. We will all stand before this glorious God, fall to our knees and exclaim, he's glorious. And so my question to you now is, are you living like that now? Are you living as someone with delayed glory? So that means glory will be revealed later. Oh, delayed. That helps us. Delayed gratification. You've experienced that with your budget, perhaps, as you do your meal planning or your household running and your, your flat organization. You think, well, we'd love to have this in our fridge, but no, we can't. We, we can't afford it. So, so we have to delay that gratification. I love to have a, a natter thought after each meal. It's just I'd be very happy if that was reality. But I have to delay that gratification to once a week, perhaps. And so we delay our joy because it comes in the future. Now, in a very real way, God comes to us through this passage and he says, friends, you've got to delay the satisfaction of this desire for glory. You've got to delay it quite intentionally because it will only be given to you as a gift when Christ comes back. That's when it will be revealed. Does that help you a little bit as you think about the things that you're suffering at the moment as a Christian? You have desires that you want to satisfy. And you think there's ways to satisfy it. It's not biblical, but man, I'll feel a whole lot better if I could just do that or this or buy this or that or eat this or that. Does it help you a little bit to, to hear God's promise to you to say, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, then also you will appear with him in glory. Then also, finally, all the desires of your heart will be finally satisfied. That's what, that's what makes you a Christian. It's, do I put my faith, do I hide my life in Christ, and do I therefore say, I will, I will forego many things in this life. I will pick up my cross and bear it in this life. Because at the end, there is this great reward, not this, not acclaim, this great reward of seeing Christ and having all of my desires met as I see him. That is the glory that is ahead for Christians. Next week, you'll have to pray for me as I prepare a sermon on this, but the passage will say, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality. Many of us are delaying sexual gratification. Why? Because our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Therefore, put to death impurity. Many of us have longings to do things that aren't pure, but it will give us joy and pleasure. But we are putting that aside. We're putting it to death. Why? Because our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Many of us are putting to death evil desires and covetousness. 
We're doing this. Why? Because our lives are hidden with Christ in God. So hearing all of that, let us remind ourselves of what glory is. And perhaps we need an example of that. Can you remember, perhaps you've come across this passage before, where, where Moses, probably in his 80th year of age, he's had a life of uh, disobedience and, uh, and, and, and false worship. Um, and then God confronts him in that burning bush. And he calls him to new purpose. And then Moses comes and he asks God, show me your glory. Perhaps you've heard of that. Show me your glory. That is the request that Moses had. Show me your glory. He knew that he was going to delay instant gratification because he is going to suffer for Christ as he leads these people to fulfill what God has called them to do. He knew his life is going to be a target. And so he says to God, show me your glory. And what is, what is it that God does? He takes him into a ravine, uh, and there's a cleft in the rock, and he hides in that cleft. And he's not happy anymore. <laughs> he hides in that cleft. And he hides in it with his, uh, with his whole body. He just reverses into that little cleft, and then God passes by in his glory. And God's glory just shines on him for a second. In fact, it's God's back that he sees. And that glory that he sees there, it says that after Moses saw that, his face was radiating God's glory. Hmm? God gave him a little deposit. He gave him a little prepayment on what is to come. Now, what do you think it was that happened at Pentecost? That was God giving his spirit to his people, to give him a, a foretaste of his glory that is yet to come, that will be fully revealed. You know, that's what the apostles said about that great apostolic era where they had these visceral experiences of God's presence. They said, we have seen his glory and we have touched it. <laughs> They've been with Jesus. A and that is the bedrock from where the church grew, expanded, and became this, this, this world reality that we have today. So we're going to look at this passage now. We're going to look intently at it. And we're going to ask God to give us a sense of his glory, of his presence, as we study it in silence, just reflecting on what it says there. Uh, what I want you to have in mind as you do this is, uh, I know that what will be revealed in future about me and about my fellow Christians here, it, it would be all awe-inspiring. It would be overwhelming when we see Christ and we see who we will be in Christ. And I would long for you to dwell on this passage and to go to that glory that lies in the future, to dwell on that reality that will one day be revealed. As you do that, let the words of Isaiah ring in your ears. This is what verses 1 and 2 says. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. To be called Christians means that our lives are hidden with Christ in God, that glorious Christ that was uh, resurrected from the grave and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, the one who constantly sits in praise and honor 
He is the resurrection and the life. And, and all of heaven is singing, worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb who was slain for us. And all glory and might and power and praise forever and ever is his. And all that is his will one day also be ours. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. And one day it will be revealed. Let's take a moment to dwell on this passage. And then I'll pray for us. Amy Carmichael wrote this. She said, Yes, God's glory is our plea, our highest, strongest, most impelling and enduring of all pleas. Let him show us the vision of the glory and bring us to the very end of self. Let him touch our lips with the live coal and set us on fire to burn for him. Yea, burn with consuming love for him and a purpose none can turn us from. And a passion like a pure white flame, a passion for the glory of God. Oh, may this passion consume us, burn the self out of us, and burn the love into us. For God's glory, I ask this. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we long for your glory. We long to see visions of your glory. We, we long, Father, to see your glory in the risen Christ seated at the right hand of the Father. Father, we know that he is only seated at the right hand because he went to the cross. 
But now that cross is empty, that grave is empty, we, we don't run for our imagination, our Christian worship to the cross, but we run to the seated Christ. And we long to see that reality now. Father, we are amazed that the Apostle Paul, who was this incredible evangelist, and, and Amy Carmichael, who was this incredible missionary, that that what they were all about was not go and tell in the first place, but all about come and see and taste that the Lord is good. Help us to understand we'll only be able to go and tell to the extent that we're able to come and see and taste the glory of God. And so we ask that as a church, we will seek the things that are above and we will set our minds on the things that are above, that our times with you will be rich, will be edifying and will be filled with your glory so come lord jesus come we beseech you show us your glory and do that for your name's sake father we also uh, pray now as this service continues that we will be able to continue to respond with thankfulness uh, a time of uh, of the lord's supper is a time where we come reminding ourselves of what it costs to save us but also of your willingness to save us by giving us your son. Uh, and then of our commitment to now go live lives of thankfulness. We give thanks for the gifts that you've given to all of us. Uh, many of us have taken those gifts and given them, or at least a tithe of that, to your church's work in this place. So we give thanks, Father, for all the gifts that you have given to us that we have been able to give back to you and to your purposes. Please continue to enable us to give much to the work of your kingdom and in time to support not just church ministry in London, but uh, church planting all over the world. We pray for missionary activities going on in places uh, that, uh, that we know nothing of, except for perhaps letters that we receive from these missionaries. We pray as they experience a hard reality even today that you would encourage and bless them, support them, give us the means to support them, not just financially, but in prayers. Uh, with that, Father, we give thanks for all the good work that we do as a church and the ways that you've called us to expand your kingdom. We are a holy nation that you've called to proclaim your excellencies. And we thank you that we're able to do it here in London uh, and all over the world. Please continue to enable us to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to sing before the throne of God above together now. And in verse 3, Esther pointed out, it has this line.